today we are going to talk and to discuss discontentment within the church and then see how it is actually a test of unity. That's been kind of this common thread that we've seen over the last uh, seven weeks. And uh, last week we actually discussed uh, fellowship within the church, uh, specifically how church members can love uh, one another based on this bond of unity that we have because of Christ uh, and how the, this love is actually a compelling witness to the watching world so that people see the way that we love, the diversity uh, of uh, which walks of life and uh, areas that we come from and see uh, the way that we love each other. And this is actually a compelling witness to the, to the world uh, today, we're going to look at kind of the negative side of that, that uh, we will see how we deal with discontentment uh, in the church when fellowship is not going well. Uh, and so discontentment is something that we all struggle with. And um, I'll, maybe just raise your hand or like give me a nod if you've ever been a part of a perfect church, Right? That it's not it doesn't exist, and, and so uh, if maybe someone listening to this is raising their hand in their car or somewhere, um, I can guarantee that you're wrong um, because that church had you in it, had had me in it, and we know that we are not perfect. Um, and that those who are closest to us are usually the ones that hurt us the most. Uh, so it's this group which we have the highest expectations. Those who have been transformed by Christ uh, and then are in the body of Christ who can let us down the most. Um, so I wonder if you can recall um, the last time you were deeply disappointed. Some of us can recall that instantly. But wonder if you can recall the last time you were deeply disappointed by another church member, either in this church or another, or think about the time maybe that you were let down or felt let down by another church member. Um, so maybe it's been months since you've joined a church. Um, maybe it's been months since you've been let down. Maybe the congregation was unconcerned about a particular thing that, was, that you were very passionate about. Maybe it's something just as simple as, oh, they never sing that hymn or that song that I love so much and we're uh, disappointed or uh, discontent. So it could be something simple, it could be something complicated, but uh, difficulties like these can lead to discontentment. And how we respond to discontentment uh, can be a great enemy or... Uh, it, can, uh, it can be a great enemy of unity in the church. Or, on the flip side, it can be a good a force for good. Um, so in a moment, we're going to discuss how um, discontentment arises. Uh, but at the very beginning here, I want to just ask a couple questions. And oh, feel free to respond. So what are some ways that our response to discontentment can harm unity in the church. What are some ways that discontentment can harm unity in the church? Uh, 
So discontentment, we're thinking mostly about our own preferences or desires or, uh, and then unity can come when we're maybe laying those down and we're thinking about the whole body. Um, okay, so what would be some ways or how can we respond to disappointment to strengthen the church? What are some ways that we can think or respond to disappointment that strengthens the church. What's that? Yeah, prayer is good. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, as we respond, uh, we we can trust, then we can trust in God and others. They're seeking... To, to glorify him. Um, so like all adversity, we know that God has given us the grace uh, to work through discontentment. And he intends it to serve for his glory and our good. And so how we, we can promote unity when we encounter discontentment is uh, in the church is what we'll be considering today. Is how do we promote unity when we um, go up against discontentment. So this morning, what we're not going to do is we're not going to address how we should respond to clear sin. It's outlined in scripture. Uh, Lord willing, we'll consider those in the weeks to come uh, as we think about church discipline. Um, Nor today will we specifically address uh, disagreement with the leadership. Uh, We'll cover those questions in the weeks that we cover leadership in this class. Uh, in this class, though, we'll consider how we respond to uh, aspects of our church that are not necessarily sinful um, and yet can cause unhappiness in the church or discontentment and thus you know, be a source of disunity in the church when we're focused on that. And so it's worth pointing out that discontentment isn't always bad. There can be some good discontentment. Maybe you've been disappointed in a church because they don't give, is, give to missions, and so you want to see that grow in that body. Um, that could be a godly discontent, but we still uh, can respond in ways that are damaging, so it's important how we respond. So I want us to, to kind of address and to examine the negative effects of discontentment uh, that discontentment can have in a church, And then we'll think through some ideas of how we should deal with discontentment um, in a God-honoring way. And then we'll consider two specific areas, kind of, uh, or categories of discontentment. And that is godly discontentment and sinful discontentment. And so, point two there in your outline, bitter fruit from poor response to, to discontentment. We might define discontentment this way. Uh, discontentment as long as a longing for something better than our present situation. So we can define it this way. Discontentment as a longing for something better than our present situation. 
So there can be godly discontentment. We know for a fact this world is broken by sin, um, and it should be better. I love the way that C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. He says, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, right? This world is not our home. Um, We are strangers and aliens. And and, uh, C.S. Lewis also said this. He says, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy our desires, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. This is where we often go wrong. When earthly pleasures don't satisfy, we dwell there rather than hope for something better, right? That we would hope for something that is to come, that ultimately is in Christ. Which is where sinful discontentment begins. When we refuse to trust God and his goodness and his extended gratitude for his provision, but instead demand more than he has ordained for us. So we're we're wanting more than he has, he has ordained for us. We can even see this begin with Adam and Eve, right? In the very, very beginning. Um, and has, you know, people have struggled with it ever since, this idea of discontentment. Thomas Watson says it this way, Through Adam and Eve, or though Adam and Eve had the choice of all the trees in the garden, they would not be content except for the tree of knowledge from which they ate. Um, oh, then, if this lesson was hard to, uh, to learn in their innocence, how hard shall we find it with, our, with we who are clogged with corruption? So this is something discontentment has been a part since the very beginning, right? That we struggle with it as well. So our, even if our discontentment is godly, we can still put our hope in circumstances instead of in God to make it better. So discontentment, even when we're spurred by godly desires, can bear bitter fruit if we respond the wrong way. So I want to look at three ways in which discontentment, if not properly handled, can harm the witness of the church. So the first one here is discontentment can lead to complaining and grumbling. Paul warns of of this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom... You shine as lights in this world. Even just before this, uh, verse 14 in uh, chapter 2, verse 12, Paul commends the church for obeying Jesus consistently, both in his absence and in his presence. And he encourages them that you are doing this, but do even more also. So when Paul gives this imperative to do all things without grumbling or disputing, what, is, what does he have in view? Does he have some things? No, he has do everything. Do everything. Live your life. Do everything without grumbling. Now, if you're a parent, then you probably have understood 
this grumbling of, of children before. Right now that's something in my house that we're, uh, we're working with and trying to teach our kids not to grumble or complain. Know that this is something that probably every parent goes through and every parent tries to teach. But if I'm being totally honest, that I need to learn this as well. While I'm teaching it to my kids, I'm recognizing that I am usually the first to complain or grumble. So the Lord is working on me as well in that area. But Paul's saying there's no gray area here. He says, don't grumble in you know, most things. He says, no, everything. Live your life to everything without grumbling. There's no gray area to grumble. So that's in Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15. So then Paul says, a part of which our witness should be compelling to the world is that we don't complain. We can see another reference in James 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So we don't properly address discontentment that leads to grumbling, we damage one of the characteristics that makes us distinct as Christians. So we can actually harm the witness of the church. So we should not be discontent and we should not let that lead to complaining and grumbling. But then second, discontentment can also lead to discord. So when we're unhappy, we're tempted to, to talk about it, right? We want to share our opinions. We maybe criticize. Uh, we build our case by rallying support, trying to get people to see from our point of view. We want to share our opinions. And uh, no matter the virtue of our in, initial concern, this type of behavior can quickly uh, create factions or cause factions uh, or dissension within the church. Uh, something that Paul lists alongside some very, very uh, serious sins. He listed alongside of idolatry, witchcraft, fits of rage. Uh, when he writes about the acts of the sinful nature in Galatians 5 verse 20. So he lists it right there alongside and goes, um, goes as far as saying that these are works of the flesh that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's Galatians 5, 21. So we'll, we must be careful that we are not, um, we are not leading to discord. We're not uh, building our case, but yet we must address this in a way that, that honors God. But then third, we must... Discontentment distracts us from what really matters. So as individuals and as a church, our charge is to make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians 5, verse 16. Uh, but discontentment consumes our time and our attention. It, you know, it zaps our energy, it, uh, monopolizes on our time and attention of brothers and sisters and elders and staff. We see, uh, if you wanted to read about, just even after in, in the early church in Acts 6, where, what, there's, there's discord, there's actual uh, disagreement, and the elders appoint deacons to handle that so they wouldn't be distracted 
and that they could focus on teaching of the word and of prayer. Um, it's a good, good example. So we, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must remember the cross. We have to be focused. We can be very short-sighted and forget uh, to focus on the cross. We must keep our spiritual eyes focused on the right things, and even through praiseworthy thoughts. Um, what we ponder is often what we uh, perceive. And if we're discontent, oftentimes it's because we've been meditating on the wrong things and we come weighed down with frustration. Um, and so it's time to pick up this easy yoke, Matthew 11, 11, verse 30, of the delight in Jesus by doing what Paul instructs us to do in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 8. He says there, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there is, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth praise, think about such things. And so don't be, don't let discontentment govern your life. Rather, Lay aside this heavy weight and fix your eyes on Christ and fix your eyes on what uh, Paul says there, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure and lovely. Focus on those things. Um, because in Hebrews 12, 2, uh, it talks about fixing our eyes on Christ, whose surpassing worth, when you see it, uh, makes the hardest circumstances in this world rubbish compared to knowing Christ so that we would focus on Him. But we have to remember that discontentment can also strengthen the body as well. When we respond in a way that's godly, when we submit to each other, when we submit to Christ and work hard in love, uh, we can actually bring great glory to God by doing this. So we show our unity, uh, show that our unity doesn't rest on a perfect agreement. We don't have to always agree 100% or in compatible personalities, but on shared hope and satisfaction in Christ. Like we can unify around that. And so to see this action, I want to think about uh, areas that we can address discontentment in a God-glorifying way. Um, so Roman numeral, numeral three in your handout is addressing discontentment in general. So how should we address discontentment in the church? Well, I'm going to offer some suggestions. Um, it's not a to-do list or a formula that you could do these things and you're guaranteed you know, to not be discontent, but rather in the Christian life are ultimately, it isn't action steps, but to understand how the gospel of grace transforms the way we respond. So that we would be, that God would give us grace to do this. Um, we want to be able to say with Paul, like he says in Philippians 4 verse 11, that I've learned to be content. That I've learned to be content. And I've thought about that this week. I have learned to be content in all situations. Now, you know, 
I struggle with being content. I think, like we've already talked a little bit about, we all have struggled with that at, at certain points in our life. Um, but, but Paul says he hasn't always, he doesn't say he's always been content, but he says, I've learned to be content. Um, Thomas Watt, Watson said it this way, I've, I have learned is a word that imports difficulty. It shows how hardly the apostle came by contentment. It was not bred by nature, but it was learned. It had cost of many prayer and tear. It was taught by the Spirit. And, and that's something that we need the Spirit to teach us how to be content. That is not something that we can muster up or will in our own life. Yet, for godly contentment, we need the Spirit to teach us that. So I'm going to list basically some ways of applying the good news of God's patience to us so that by His Spirit would give us the strength to be content and grow in our contentment. So first way that we can grow in our contentment is pray for God's mercy. We need Him first and foremost. The gospel tells us that we are unable to do anything on our value on our own strength, and that includes responding to discontentment. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. So our first guideline is to pray and cry out for God's mercy. We need Him to help us to learn to be content. So when something about the church or someone in the church rubs you the wrong way and you're about to enter a spiritual battle, what do we do? We go to the Lord and pray, God, help us. Satan would want, wants nothing more than destroy us with bitterness and with pride and with revenge. Uh, and we can justify giving into temptation when we feel we're in the right, right? We justify it in our own heart and pride takes over. So we need to uh, fight and pray. Uh, fight by praying. That is our, one of our greatest tools as we encounter uh, discontentment in our own lives. So you're waging a war you can't win on your own. So we need the Lord's help. We need the Spirit. So when we pray that God would give discernment and wisdom through His Word, here's a couple things that we can pray. Pray that God would identify any sinful desires in your own heart and that He would replace them. We can pray something like, God, would you, would you fuel your heart with love for Christ? God, would you fuel our hearts with love for Christ? What are some, maybe some ways that you have prayed when you have faced uh, discontentment? Anything come to mind of ways that you have uh, prayed in the past?
Okay. Yeah. 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 In that prayer of of God even leading us to begin to pray is that we would depend on him. That's exactly what prayer is, showing that we depend on God. for sharing so we should first pray and sometimes our reaction is not to first pray but God leads us to that point through trials and through um, many different situations but um, we should pray and show our dependence for God um, and his mercy but second uh, we should examine your desires and confess and repent of those that are sinful. So examine your own, your own heart and understand that the desires are often the root of discontentment. So you can begin to do this by asking, where is there sin that we need to confess? Um, where are there desires that should be satisfied in Christ, but we're wrongly seeking to satisfy comfort 
or, you know, the respect of others. James 4, and uh, verses 1 and 2, says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, that you desire and do not have, so you murder? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? James, he gets right to the heart of the issue. He doesn't beat around the bush. We often feel discontent because we put our hope in our circumstances rather than God. But circumstances change. Praise God that he does not change. And he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. So is there a fight or quarrel? Then there is an ungodly desire in your heart so that we need to deal with. For example, um, just to list a few, maybe you're unhappy because some people are better friends with particular members. Maybe that's the root of discontentment is because you feel that such friendship conveys special status that you covet. Um, Is it because you're jealous of a friendship that seems so close and you desire that? Are you putting your hope in people's approval rather than Christ for your provision? Well, the gospel declares that God's uh, approval of you is sufficient in Christ. Or are you frustrated that seemingly no one in the church understands your struggles um, and you desire to be heard? Well, the gospel declares that God sees you and knows you, forgives you, and will guide you. So that leads us to guideline number two. Examine your desires and... So that guideline here is examine your desires and repent. And then we see third... See other believers the way that God sees them. That we would strive to see the church and everyone the way that God sees them. That means we should view others through the lens of love. And we talked about that last week. Not as such of disappointment or suspicion. Again, the gospel is crucial here. It reminds us that in Christ, God has lavished the riches of his forgiveness on us in spite of our sin. So as we grow in the understanding of the depth of his grace and our hearts are filled with gratitude, uh, we can begin to see others the way that God sees them. As treasured saints who he has washed and cleansed and renewed, uh, they're not our enemies, but our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, uh, we may misunderstand us, they may let us down, they may frustrate us, and disappoint us, but Christ has sacrificed for them. So how do we grow in viewing others from God's vantage point? How do we grow? uh, And and here are a few thoughts. First, pray for others and love them in concrete ways. So when you're unhappy with someone in the church, what you can do is pray for that person. We've seen how uh, prayer is such an important part of discontentment when we're, when we're fighting that, to go to the Lord in prayer, to show our dependence and our need for Him in that way. So pray, pray that God would prosper their, um, their desire for Him. Pray that God would help you understand their worth. Um, if there's not someone, maybe you can even begin to pray through the directory just to you know, be proactive about praying for those in the body. 
and then express other forms of service. We can send them encouraging email. Um, you, know, you can meet some physical needs. Choosing to love someone at an extremely practical level can help and be one of the best ways to soften our hearts for that person just by serving them. And you might be even thinking like, well, you know, Greg, my heart is saying negative things inside. Why should I do encouraging things on the outside? Isn't that maybe hypocritical? And I would say, I don't think so. I think disciplining yourself to work for the good of the other, even when it's hard, is good for us. Even when our, our feelings are maybe inclined elsewhere, I think it is profitable for us to persevere in love, that God would use those actions um, to help promote unity in the body. So we pray and love them in concrete ways, but second, consider how much other, uh, consider how much other people value, other people value to God. So in <clears throat> Philippians, uh, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition but or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That's in Philippians 2, verse 3. So why should we consider others more significant than yourself? Is it because they're more capable or more godly? No, it's because they are Christ's possessions, and they are dear to him. He has bought them with his blood. But then third... <clears throat> that we would even begin to think, like as we were thinking about, maybe even I'm impatient or, you know, when we're thinking about considering how much other people are value to God, um, sometimes we can even think sinfully of how dare they consider their, maybe their time more valuable than mine if they're not serving or some other way. Um, well, we would do well to refocus our concern away from the value of time um, and serving in such that they're doing it for the body and we're willing our motivation would be that of love. But then fourth, that we would speak the truth in love. So how you choose to share specific discontentment with others affects whether that dis, uh, discontentment spreads or it subsides. So what should you talk about or how should you talk about it? Well, here's just kind of a, a few examples for us today. So it's good to practice, uh, to work through these things that we've talked about, prayer, examining our desires, um, seeing others the way that God sees them. But before you speak with someone about areas of unhappiness, are you wanting to either confess sin or are you wanting to collaborate to encourage the church? Are you wanting to confess sin or collaborate to encourage your, the church? And if it doesn't, if your conversation doesn't fall into one of those two categories, then it could be in danger of possibly complaining or grumbling. So when you, when you think it's good to talk to someone, talk constructively. You know, you're not trying to uh, build your case, but um, you want to talk constructively about how you can better serve the church. Um, simply using a conversation to let off steam is not profitable for the church and will not build unity. But then third, 
recognize your responsibility as a church member. We'll, we'll talk about it more in a few weeks, as we've already mentioned. Um, but uh, suffice to say that in Matthew 18, it's very clear of steps of dealing with sin. Um, and the first step is always, as an individual, if you, sus- if you suspect sin, that you go to that person and that you talk to them directly. Um, with very few expectations, if anyone else other than um, about sin, you're acting as a gossiper or uh, a slanderer. So you want to be very intentional if there's something in regards to sin that you go to that person directly. Um, and so the, com- the complaining person uh, to talk to, you know, the one, that it, the one with offending person directly, that's how things should work in a church. That we go to the one who's made the offense or that is in sin, that we would talk to them directly. But then fourth, be careful of how you speak about the issue publicly. Some things in the church are unclear and unimportant. Others are um, very important but unclear. We can see uh, if something is both important and clear, like maybe the divinity of Christ or the authority of Scripture, then that's something we can prayerfully consider about speaking publicly. Uh, Say in a a meeting or a members meeting, um, that you want to be very in line with Scripture, and so you can be very intentional about speaking publicly about that. But then even as we think about specific areas of discontent, so the church, what would be maybe an area, is maybe saying the church isn't meeting my needs. Um, One specific area of discontent can often, we can often feel that the church isn't meeting our needs, or we can focus on ourselves. However this common this might be, if we recognize it for what it is, a selfish you know, demand to serve me. So we have got to be careful about elevating ourself over others. We must remind ourselves of the question, why does the church exist? Well, the ultimate purpose is to glorify God by showing off his power in a diverse community of united believers. It's not to serve me and my needs, but it's to glorify God. So that we would fight this form of discontentment, we need to know that we're not the most important part in the church, right? The church doesn't resolve around me, even though we so often think that the church resolves around us. But then also, the church has disappointed my expectations of fellowship and growth. So the second, that we might desire to serve the church selfishly, we still feel lingering disappointment with ways maybe the church has met our needs, maybe in a lack of fellowship or feeling like, like you don't belong. Um, maybe you've been a member for some time and you've just not connected well. Um, well, I'd en- encourage you to talk to maybe a life group leader or an elder and see how you can get plugged in to life and community. They, they would love nothing more than to get someone plugged in to life in community with the body. But then also, maybe you say, well, Greg, I'm just discontent because I dislike a church member. Well, what do we do with that? Another cause for discontentment is simply we just don't like somebody. Maybe it's an issue, 
issue of envy or rivalry. Maybe you resent the blessing that God has lavished on somebody. Or maybe it's just a basic feeling of discomfort. Um, someone behaves differently than, than we do. Uh, we are a diverse group of people in the local church. So maybe it's just someone works for an organization or a political party that you just don't agree with. Um, so how do you work through that? Again, I think part of that is prayer. We go to God in prayer that he would change our heart for that person. We would confess our sin and seek forgiveness then also recognize that a desire to love someone um, in sin, it's not something we can brush aside, um, but we must be intentional about loving people well and learn to pray for people that you dislike or maybe don't get along. And pray that God would bless and mature them um, and mature you, rather, that you bless them and mature you and grow you up and consider these individuals, though broken and imperfect, just as we are, are transformed by Christ. So that we would pray and be intentional about loving people whom we find uncomfortable or easy to love. Um, but as members of the church, it's our, our hugely important uh, responsibility to love well. And we are actually responsible for the unity of the church. So as members, we should love well. We should seek to uh, live in unity with all believers and uh, thus uh, be a part of unity of the local church. So the root of discontentment is the idea that things would be better if some person or, sim or somebody would simply change. Well, that person um, should be us that changes, that we should grow. But that is precisely why we must put our hope in God and not in our circumstances. So praise God that we don't have to cling to weak, temporary hopes of this world, that we can cling to Christ. He is sovereign over our circumstances. As he was sovereign when Noah was being mocked, uh, when Joseph was in the pit, when Israel was in slavery, when David was being haunted, when Paul was in prison, um, and when Christ was on the cross. His goodness always prevails. And in him we can find joy of true contentment in our life. So are there any questions or comments, thoughts about discontentment? Because if anybody had a right to be discontent, Amen. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think prayer is a, is a key to fighting discontentment and and knowing the word so that we can fight that discontentment and know our own sinful you know desires and tendencies um, and fighting that with the word. Well, let me pray for us, and we'll we'll wrap up today. Heavenly Father, we ask uh, God that you would help us to fight uh, discontentment. God, that we would um, you, that you would teach us, Lord, to be content in all things. That we would be able to say, that, like Paul, God, that we have learned to be content in all things, but. We know that that will not be done in our own strength, but only uh, through your spirit working in us to fight discontentment. God, that we would fight that and fight for the unity of your church. God, thank you for this time together. Amen.